What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Today, our guest is Tim Hubbard. Today, we are talking about passive Airbnb or short-term rental investing. Tim is a location-independent real estate entrepreneur. And today, we're talking about how he runs his short-term rental business from overseas. He lives in Colombia. He grew up in California. And when he called in to talk with me, he was actually in Brazil, stuck due to the quarantine. And it didn't matter in a certain sense because he was still able to operate his business and, and build his business from his Airbnb on an island in Brazil. Totally incredible. Great guy to talk to. The short-term rental or Airbnb model is, is fascinating. It gives a potential to earn enormous cash flows if you do it right and enormous cash flows passively at that but you really have to do it right you have to buy right and today we're covering some of those things that tim does in his business to acquire properties correctly acquire the right properties and operate them in such a way that he's not spending every day on the phone calling somebody to clean up his properties and handling the day-to-day -day. he's not doing that He's just focusing on buying more and enjoying that sweet cash flow. That's what we love to hear. Tim was a great guy to talk to, and you're going to enjoy this interview. We just started streaming live on YouTube. Hope you can join us for the next one. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Thrilled to be bringing this interview today. I hope you're all healthy, wealthy, and wise out there, and today we're going to help push you further into that wealthy category. Thanks for joining us once again. Here we go with Tim Hubbard. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here, Tim. Really excited to talk with you. We're, you're in Brazil right now. We're, during the, we're in the coronavirus epidemic. And you know, tell us about you and your business. I think it's super interesting. Give us a quick primer on Tim before we get into the uh, details here. Sure. So yeah, in a nutshell, I guess I'm a real estate investor. Uh, but about five years ago, I started focusing on buying small multifamily properties that I could convert to short-term rentals. So they're good investments up front, but they made sense uh, for short-term rentals. So I've been doing that and I've in a few different cities now and got quite a few units set up systems so I can manage them from abroad. I, I live in Colombia most of the time, although I am in Brazil <laughs> quarantined right now, <laughs> technically. Uh, Brazil borders are closed till the end of May. So, or I'm sorry, Colombia borders are closed till the end of May. So I'm just down here uh, in Florianopolis until then. But uh, yeah, things are still running. And, you know, That's still awesome. That's awesome. And, and, you know, we haven't actually covered short-term rentals on the show before. Um, and it, it's interesting to me that you found a way to automate this business to the point where it's passive enough that you don't have to be there. You're not the one turning all these units. Uh, but so we can get a, an idea of the scale and, and what you do. Where are your rentals compared to uh, where you live and where you are right now in uh, Brazil? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm from California originally. I started in California. So I have some there. Uh, most of mine are in Memphis and Tennessee. And then I recently acquired some in Oklahoma City. So totally scattered you know um and i get you know a lot of people like to invest in their backyards and stuff and and some people are kind of like surprised that i, I live 
outside of the US and still manage them. But to me, it's like, you know, if you live a hundred miles away from your property, you're probably not going to be there on site anyway. So how is being 3000 miles away really that much different? Uh, yeah. As long as you're in the same time zone, like what's the difference? Yeah. Or even, I mean, you don't even need to be in the, <laughs> the same time zone <laughs> really, uh, unless you're, you know, you need to be available at certain hours of the day or something. But, yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a tough problem, right? It sounds like a very monumental task and I'm sure it is to make this happen. Let's go through some of the, the systems that you use to turn this into a passive business, because obviously you're not working in the business, at least to any major extent. I'm sure you're doing something, but mm-hmm. you're not there turning the units and you know all of those things. So let's talk about some of those systems you set up to make this passive. Yeah, so there, there's some essential tools to setting it up as a passive operation. One's going to be just having a digital door lock so someone can check themselves in and check themselves out. You don't need someone there like you do at a hotel. It also you know, cuts your expenses down. Reality is you only really need uh, a housekeeper and maintenance staff, and that could even be the same person. You know, um, All of our reservations we do online, and most people book without even talking to us. I mean, wow. they, they do instant book, you know, so you can go online, they find a place, we, we describe it as accurately as possible, they get the benefit of seeing all the reviews, and then they just say, yep, you know, I wanna stay for these dates, and a lot of our guests, we never even talk to, you know, they book our place, we have all of our messaging set up automatically, so, it goes out uh, through a property management system, just like you know we have property management software for long-term rentals. We have a lot of tools and uh, good software for short-term rentals that can do all of these things. So you know it's really just about answering the questions that your guests are going to have before they ask them, and then and then a lot of times it turns out that they're not even asking any. You know, wow. if they have a great stay, leave a good review, and you made you know. X times the amount of uh, rent that you would have with a long-term tenant. So, I mean, that's, it's really cool, but it, um, it, it sounds, I guess there's some pieces, maybe some pieces missing there. If I uh, draw some inferences, so you could have the same guy doing maintenance or woman or whatever doing maintenance and housekeeping, but here's a hypothetical. What if that person just doesn't show up one day? What if you hire the wrong person and you're, you're in a bind, how do you handle that? I mean, that's, you got to expect that that's going to happen, right? Yeah, totally. So you just, you want to have backups, you know, just like if you have an HVAC person that helps you with your apartment buildings uh, and they're not available, you got to have someone else to call, right? So just having backups that you know are reliable and that, and that you can count on in case something like that happens. Now the, the benefit to having a lot of units in the same city is that you're going to have multiple housekeepers. So if mm. one can't make it for whatever reason, they can schedule with the other one and let them know. And in fact, that, that's what I do with the, a lot of ours is just say, hey, you know, you're responsible for these rentals. If for some reason you can't make it, you know, call um, one of our other team and you can, you're welcome to switch with them. So having more makes it easier, but if you have just one rental, for example, you just want to make sure you have backups. And that 
could be a professional cleaning service, you know, that you know is available all the time. You've talked with beforehand and they can be available at last minute. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I, I should be sure to include the more benign reasons that you might not be able to get someone to, to clean a unit. They might just be busy with something else and they can't get to you right away. So 100%, that makes sense. We don't always need to go to the worst case scenario that we need to rehire someone new. But, you know, there's there's so much in the operations that, I mean, I'm sure you're not, how much are you handling day to day? I mean, there's probably, do you have virtual assistants involved? Like to what degree are you separated from the daily operations of the business? Well, honestly, I don't, I don't do anything for the most part, except for add new units. So my, my main role is, is adding new units and setting them up in the system. So, um, I use a property management software called Guesty and they handle all the reservations. They actually have live people that can help as well. And they're based out of Israel. So the first step is we set up as many automated messages as we can. And it's really not a lot. It's like less than 10, you know, check-in messages, uh, uh, guidebooks, digital guidebooks, things like this. So if they have any questions, the first step goes to Guesty. So is our virtual reservation team. And then the second step goes to uh, an operations manager that I have that, you know, is routed through our phone system. So any call would go to him. And then you can make an easy third step so I, I'm the third step for some properties, just depending where they're at, but it hardly ever, like it doesn't ever come to me really. Wow. Most of the time people are messaging through the system, which is going to get responded to at that first stage. Uh, and then if they do call, it goes to the second one. So it's very rare that I, you know, or am actually talking with guests anymore. Let's see. So that's kind of like the reservation piece. And I think actually the more familiar people get with Airbnbs and the more familiar you are renting your own property, the more you can eliminate like all of the questioning and it's better for the guests too. You know, they don't. I just lost you there. I'm sure we'll get him back shortly for everybody watching the video. He's on Brazil internet. We'll have him soon. We lost him once before. Am I back at all? You're back now. We got your back now. I, I'm sorry I've, about that. It's yeah, all right. That's all right. I informed the the viewers. It's fine. Um, so, you know, let's, let's uh, back up if I can, you know, just in, inject a question in here before we get too far away from it. You mentioned mm. this third party uh, property management platform, Guesty. What do they provide? I mean, there's the property management world. There's a whole list of things that you can pay for and not pay for. And you know, what are, what are the typical costs? I mean, I don't know if a percentage or whatever makes sense per night. I don't know. What does that all yeah. look like? They do charge a percentage and I've been with them for a long time. Um, so I'm not sure if what they're, I think they're charging more now than you're getting the good, the good deal. Yeah. Yeah. But even now for everything that you can accomplish with them, I think they charge 5%, which oh, might sound yeah. You know, it might sound like a lot, but when you think that they're handling like uh, all of your reservations, and I, I guess I forgot to mention that we will never get a question until after the guest is already booked. So mm. they handle all the upfront questions too. So the only questions that we're actually getting is on the back end. You know, if they checked in and something wasn't right or whatever it was. 
Um, so 5%, but their management software also has a lot of built-in tools and integrations so that you can list your properties on multiple platforms. You can integrate with locks and all types of different uh, services. It's a, it's a really well-rounded software. Cool. That's, that's great. I mean, I didn't know that these software packages or anything, these things existed and it makes sense that there would be a, a hole in the market for that kind of thing. So yeah. uh, that's fantastic. Now you, you said that the main thing that you're doing in your business a little bit earlier is you're doing new acquisitions on a, a day-to-day basis, bringing new properties online. And let's talk about that, your, your criteria for getting new properties and the process, especially being as far away as you are evaluating them. I mean, that's a whole, it's tough enough when you're up the street, right? What about being a couple mm-hmm. countries away? Yeah, so my, the way that I go about looking for new properties uh, is really how I would look for any real estate investment. I mean, I'm looking for property that has a good return, that's in a place that has good fundamentals, you know, where the, the population's growing, there's diverse employment, it's not dependent on one industry, um, it's landlord friendly. You know, and I've also, but then you have to add this additional stage if you're looking for short-term rentals and that's, you want to make sure that they're allowed there. A lot of cities, you know, are regulating short-term rentals. So that's kind of like the additional step. Everything else I would do just like I normally would, um, aside from the location, that's going to change a little bit too. Uh, But as far as vetting the property, you know, all the numbers, that stuff pretty much the same because I'm looking for investment that makes sense um, in an area that I, I, I tend to look in midtown areas. Um, that's the name of my, my management company, Midtown Stays, because I found that they have a lot of guests that come in for business, but then also for tourism. And so I'm getting kind of both uh, both of the large guest pools there. Um, there's also usually a lot of smaller multifamily properties too. So uh, I've, I haven't done this with huge like 200 unit apartment buildings. Not to say that you couldn't, but I, I think originally Airbnb kind of started out, people were looking for like a unique kind of experience. And so that's, you know, where I started out too, I guess. Um, so being in a location that has a lot of potential guests coming in uh, with the property that, that makes sense and that's allowed to be a short term rental in that area, I guess that's my criteria. And you can do that all online, right? So being abroad, <laughs> being abroad doesn't, <laughs> doesn't affect that too much. So uh, the, the regulation piece is huge and, you know, we, we need to bring that up. I mean, my understanding of, particularly with Tennessee, like Nashville, I think passed some very anti short term rental legislation at some point, and it it wiped out a lot of folks uh, who are in that business in that area and that's that's a huge factor that is out of our control in a certain to a certain extent, but also you know go to markets that are friendly mm-hmm. yeah so last i I've heard about nashville they they passed that, but it was actually overturned oh really on a, on a statewide level. So the whole state wow. of Tennessee came back and said, you can't ban short-term rentals in the whole state. You can't ban them anywhere. It doesn't mean they can't regulate them. 
so they can still put regulations. But an outright ban, from what I understand, they, they can't do that uh, in the state. And several other states have followed suit with that now, too. I know Arizona's like that. Um, I know there's, there's a few others as well. But and, and that's kind of a good sign, right? That I mean, these cities and these governments are making a percentage off all of these short-term rentals from their transient occupancy tax. Some, they're making millions and millions of dollars for something that they actually didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to create a business. <laughs> they didn't have to hire employees. And so for regulations to come in and just turn that off, I find it hard for a lot of cities to just stop taking that money that they were already getting, you know? Um, and I think there's a pretty strong correlation between cities that have housing shortages and strict short-term rental regulations. So places like New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, these places have really bad housing shortages already, which means the hotels there are also charging higher nightly rates. So you're getting more pushback from the hotels and the lobbyists. Um, but those are really areas that I wouldn't even look to invest in anyways, because the, the numbers don't really make sense. So, that problem kind of solves yeah. itself. The, num yeah. the numbers solve that problem. Mm -hmm. So you, you say um, you can do a lot of this from your computer, you know, finding deals, sourcing deals, those kinds of things. And in the single family and duplex and really most real estate for the last couple of years, deals that are on the MLS haven't been good in most areas, haven't been really cash flowing. You'd have to get them at a better price and they were listed at things like that or on LoopNet or whatever, sent out by a broker. So are you looking at properties that are on the MLS and evaluating those? Do you have other deal flow sources from wholesalers or whatever? Like, mm -hmm. where are you finding sourcing those deals? Yeah, that's a good good point. And I've, I've got deals really kind of from everywhere, the MLS, from LoopNet, uh, from brokers, you know, a great relationship with a broker goes a long, long way, you know, especially in the multifamily world where a lot of properties aren't even hitting the market unless they just don't make sense. You know what I mean? It's a mm. crazy price. So I've got my best deals from brokers that I've already, that I'd done previous deals with, but I've also got good deals right off the MLS and LoopNet. And one of the reasons I think you can still find some good deals is that the space that I'm looking in, is smaller so it's a, most of these are smaller commercial properties like up to 12 units you know but over four so they're not for someone that doesn't have experience in investing in apartments it's a little more difficult to get in because it's a commercial property mm -hmm. but it's also below what a lot of big syndications are looking for because the numbers the man it doesn't make sense with the management expense usually right you know eight unit property the management expense is going to be way more than, you know, a 200 unit property on a percentage basis. So those properties aren't as looked at, I guess, or they're the least competitive out of the multifamily space. Hmm. Um, so interesting. My last deal I, I found on LoopNet. Um, wow. And closed on it last December. And, you know, this coronavirus has certainly hurt. <laughs> tourism and, <laughs> and travel, but I'm uh, positive that it 
you know, that's coming back. It's already started here. I'm in an Airbnb right now and uh, they've lifted restrictions here. So hopefully fingers crossed, you know, we, we get out of this in the next few months and, and travel picks back up. I certainly hope so. You know, uh, the, the faster we get out, the better, or, you know, hopefully there are no major disasters beyond this. Um, but the, um, regarding you might buy a, an eight or 12 units, something like that, somewhere under there, are you making all of those units into short-term rentals or do you have some long-term tenants in there to be like a, a base business type of thing just to keep the factory full, you know, so you have some mm-hmm. money coming in? Factory full. I like that. <laughs> um, so I, I, I have some properties that have a mix and then I have some that are completely turned into short-term rentals. Wow. Uh, I like to turn all the smaller units into short-term rentals. So studios, I think are great one bedrooms because they attract more business travelers, um, which is an easier guest really. And, um, the space is smaller, so it's not going to attract big parties. But also the returns higher on the smaller units because your utility costs is lower uh, and they stay more occupied in, in my experience, in my experience in the places where I'm at versus some of the larger units where they're catering more to the tourism side or like a family coming in, could be more seasonal. So I like to cater to a business guest first because it's, it's more consistent, it seemed to be a little easier guests. Um, and then the returns are just better. So if I get a multi-unit property that has various size apartments in it, I'm usually gonna rent all the short, the smaller ones, and then just depending on, you know, sometimes leave the bigger ones with a long-term tenant, keep the factory full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that that I like that analogy. So you know, yeah. whatever. Um, so. I'd like to learn more about you while we've got you and your background. You know, a lot of times I find uh, folks that are in these, let's say more advanced real estate strategies. I think this is a more advanced real estate strategy had some real estate investing background or experience prior uh, to that. Did you just get straight into short-term rentals or had you done any investing before that? Uh, Yeah, I was, so I've been investing, I guess, for a little over 10 years now in real estate. And I just started converting properties about five years ago in the short-term rentals. So I had properties as long-term rentals. And I also worked as a commercial broker selling investment properties in North when I was in California. And so we sold big apartment buildings. We sold shopping centers, land. It was a really awesome job. And I, I learned a ton. Um, so I do have that background, you know, the cool thing is like the, the way that we underwrote all those properties, it's still the same way you underwrite anything, you know, the numbers always tell you if it makes sense. So I did have a background in that and the way I got started, I guess, in the short term world. So I love, I love traveling and I've traveled a lot all over the world, like 70 countries, I think. And, um, so I had stayed in a lot of Airbnbs, like hundreds, you know, <laughs> yeah. all over the place. So I, I knew exactly what I liked in an Airbnb. And I had a property in a downtown area that I was renovating. And I was thinking, I was living in the suburbs at the time. And I'm like, you know, what? I, I want to move downtown. So I'm going to renovate this place the way I like it. And I'm going to furnish it. But I'm going to try renting it as a short-term rental first. 
if it doesn't work out, I'm just going to move into it, you know, because, uh, and it's been rented like nonstop. You know, I still have <laughs> that one too. I still have that one. And, uh, yeah, so that got me thinking and then I'm like, shoot, that was in a fourplex, you know, and I was renting it for maybe $1,200 or something like that a month. Uh, and now I get like $3,500 wow. or 4,000 a month. And so that fourplex that was making five grand a month now makes like 15 plus. And so it got me pretty excited and, and, <laughs> and I actually found better returns than that. So it's kind of hard to stop, stop doing it, you know, but I do like having a balance, you know, having, I have some properties that I got just, just for long-term rentals and didn't plan on putting short-term rentals in there, but those are, there are those properties out there that, that make sense short-term rentals and, and they can be really lucrative. So, and now you're out there telling others and teaching others about your experience. For those out there who are interested in getting involved with short-term rentals, they want to go do one. What do you recommend as a, you know, put your foot in the water type of uh, strategy to look into? And we can't make specific recommendations on this show for anyone, of course, but as step-by-step, step, you know, if I want to learn more and maybe get the first one, uh, what do you think about that? How people can get that done? Should, should they go, and we haven't even talked about this, should they go with the Airbnb arbitrage model or buy properties um, like you've been buying for yourself? So I think if, if you are interested in getting started in it, uh, I, as an investment, I guess we'll talk about, because the lease arbitrage model, my opinion, is not actually an investment. It's more of like, you know, it's a job because you're not owning anything at the end of the day. So if, if we look at it from the investment standpoint, at, for, at first you would want to narrow down some markets that you were interested in. Uh, and then I would suggest staying in some short-term rentals in that area and, and see what you think. Um, I mean, you have to stay in short-term rentals if, if you're going to do this. You have to kind of know how the system works. But you can narrow down markets a lot easier than we could a while ago. I mean, there's companies now that just do data analysis for short-term rentals. Wow. Uh, one of them is called the AirDNA, and they have millions of data points all over the world on average nightly rates, on occupancy levels, on seasonality you know, which markets make more sense than other ones. So I would say find a market that makes sense as a real estate investment in general first, and then maybe check out AirDNA to get some of those statistics and then stay in a couple of short-term rentals in that area uh, and, and go from there. The, the lease arbitrage model is interesting because I actually, well, first of all, so for those that don't know, it's basically renting an apartment and then subleasing it out. So renting it, putting it in furniture and subleasing out and making the difference between what you're paying and what you can get. And that has been a, a really big trend for years and years. Um, and people have really blown up with this. I mean, thousands of units. I mentioned before we jumped on the video, this company Sonder, billion dollar company that has thousands of units in lots of different cities. Uh, and unfortunately, they just laid off like a third of their workforce because everything going on. I just, I mean, when there's not an investment at the end, I, I don't know. They have higher expenses with it, with the leasing. And I, mean, I think the, the whole point of investing is it's, 
to become financially free, right? Mm -hmm. um, not to say that lease arbitrage doesn't work for a lot of people and then you can, you can make a lot of money with it. Oh yeah. And you can make it quick, you know, cause you don't have to go through all the uh, inspections and all, you know, financing. I mean, you can get properties quicker and you can do really well. And there's people that are still doing really well with it. And it's a great way to learn all of the operations, which are going to be exactly the same as they would be had you bought the property. So there's a lot of good side to it as well, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think that's very interesting. You bring up a great point that when you do this Airbnb arbitrage model, you're not building equity. You don't own anything except the furniture or you know anything the fixtures you put inside. But it is a huge cash flow opportunity. But I think right now with the the business travel just completely falling off and tourism travel completely falling off, that you know, who are they really renting to right now and how are they covering their fixed costs of rent? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how it's done. Yeah, sadly, I mean, I think a lot of people have left the industry from maybe from both sides, people that had just got into doing a short-term rental and, uh, you know, and then this happened and like, oh, this isn't for me. I want to put a long-term tenant back in there. So a lot of the supplies leave an industry right now because people put long-term tenants in those properties and those for properties that they own realistically. Now, if they were subleasing it, uh, to do the rental arbitrage model. They can go to the landlord, try to work out a deal, uh, which I'm sure a lot of them have been able to do, but I know a lot of them have not been able to do that. So from all the data that I've seen, supply is, is going down. Um, and I think at the end of this, there's gonna be probably higher nightly rates that, you know, with the lower, supply at least for a while and it's kind of exciting <laughs> you're just know. you're just going to be cash and checks sort of hopefully you know i i mean not Electronic my properties checks. have have definitely taken a hit but some way more than others and from what i found i think the new properties that i had just put up that didn't have very many reviews or a history they're not really getting booked unfortunately um, properties I had for a long time, still, still getting booked, even in, uh, in the midst of all of this. So it's just, it's a little easier to ride things out like this. I think as an owner versus the lease arbitrage model, because, you know, if I'm making five times a long-term rent on one of these properties, then I really only need to be at about 20% occupancy to be breaking even more or less with what I was making with long-term tenants. Right. So can kind of write it out for a while. And at the end of the day, you know, if things never turned around, I can just put long-term tenants back in these, in these properties. So there's good backup plans too. Nice. I like that. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Tim, I got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. What is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? <laughs> best investment, essentially, I, I, I got for free a little duplex um, because I offered to manage it. And I was an agent. I rolled commission that I would have made into it to split with a partner. And we sold it recently. And I just bought another apartment building with it out of an exchange. Cool six unit, like historical 
awesome property. So, which I essentially got for free. So I'd call that a pretty good one. Very nice. On the other side of that, we had the best investment on the other side of the coin. We have the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Luckily, most, most of my stuff's been uh, pretty good. Uh, I would say the, the worst one is a property I bought in Columbia. So I own a property in Columbia. Uh, and worse, not because it was a bad investment. I think the, that, that market actually has some good things going for it. But for one, I paid all cash because I don't have financing. So the opportunity cost there of what I could have got. And then also, especially recently, there's a whole nother level of exchange fluctuation there. So I bought it with Colombian pesos, which have lost like 30% in value oh. over, you know, like half a year or a year since I got it. So even if the property was a full, you know, 10 in terms of dollars, I, I've, I've lost quite a lot. But wow. I get the diversification, you know, get some diversification in there. So that, that part's still good. Nice. Well, well, I'm sorry to, to hear about those struggles on that investment. My favorite, my, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? I would say the most important, well, most of my career has been in real estate. So I'll just relate it to that has been planning and budgeting appropriately. So especially if you're doing renovations is making sure you have enough to cover everything you're going to do. And if it's in regards to a short-term rental that, and you want to convert a, you know, a multifamily apartment building that you have enough money for all the expenses up front, all the furniture and not to rely on future revenues. Uh, so I think that's probably my biggest lesson to, 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 to pick your properties based on day one and not what you expect them to do in the future. Nice. I like that. We have a lot of experience behind that as well, not just in this short-term rental Airbnb model, but also from your background uh, previously as an investor and as a broker. So that is fantastic advice. Tim, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, anything like that, where can they find you? Um, so you can go to restmethods.com. Um, and that's a, uh, site I have some educational resources on there. I actually have a, a free ebook that you can download that talks about what I think is the best, what are the best properties to acquire to convert to short term rentals? Where do you find them? How do you find them? And why I think they're the best. So you can go to restmethods.com. Uh, I also have a podcast, Short Term Rental Riches, and you can find that on iTunes or Stitcher, all the, all the uh, podcast platforms. Uh, and then there's a, there's a contact section on restmethods.com also. So if someone wants to get in touch with me, just feel free to uh, send me a message to the contact. Awesome. I love it. I love the idea of the podcast. You got to really hit that niche and give people the, the important information for that industry. And, and I still think we're on the, the beginning of short-term rentals you know, with this technology, even though it's been a few years. We still have a long way to go in the maturation of short-term rentals in the housing market uh, generally. So it's going to be interesting to, yeah. to experience the developments there. Totally. Yeah, yeah thanks, Taylor.
It's been great talking with you to everybody out there. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. Helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great day, great rest of the week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.